You're listening to Boggy Talk, Faith Conversations in the Mud, a resource of Church on Bayshore. Boggy Talk is recorded on Boggy Bayou in Niceville, Florida, and is hosted by Justin Wyatt and James Ross, pastors at Church on Bayshore. We typically want every matter of faith and life to have crystal clear answers, but it isn't always that easy. This podcast digs in to help Christians think with a kingdom mentality about topics that sometimes get muddy and bog us down. So let's dive in. Hey, and welcome to Boggy Talk. Thanks for tuning in to week two in our series of four challenges that are facing the church in 2021. Thankful that you joined us today. And as always, here with my faithful co-host, Pastor James Ross. That was a nice description. Faithful, faithful man. Yeah, speaking of faithful, Faithful. uh, both uh, Justin and I are celebrating something right now. Not together. Not together, (laughs) separately, but... Yeah, so this past week week was... This coming week for you, uh, our 15th anniversary, wedding anniversary. So we celebrated 15 years on January the 6th. Okay, no, January the seventh. <laughs> I got it wrong. I get it oh, wrong every goodness, time. January seventh, two thousand six. That's why I get it confused. And Christy laughs at me all the time because I always funny. have to think about it. And you guys, I remember mine. It's January fourteenth. So much easier to remember. Did you guys do anything fun for your anniversary? No, we went out. So it was great out to dinner and just uh, you know low key. Our anniversary comes, uh, you know, we're just right on the heels of Christmas and also Christy's birthday. So. Oh, wow. Uh, we just kind of all rolled into one. Yeah, so, yeah. nice. She actually nice. celebrated her birthday on our honeymoon, which was fun. Wow, so, yeah. yeah. You get to do that? Like, you can't? Yeah. Know, Christy, would, does, Christy she, Ross would not let no, that fly. No, Christy's just not super sentimental. Yeah. I mean, we we definitely got to do something, yeah. but she's just kind of like, just time. It's good. Okay, so, cool, man. That's yeah. cool, yeah. So you're saying your Christy's more high maintenance. Is that what I heard that you say? That is <laughs> what I was saying. I will fully, that is my lot in life that the God has given me, and she would say that I'm more high maintenance than her. <laughs> <laughs> and she might be right. Yes, so, she might is be. definitely I'm, right. That's right. So yeah. we are diving in today to week two on four issues, and we are building off of last week's conversation about individualism. So if you didn't have a chance, we're going to invite you uh, to listen uh, to week one about individualism, where we talk about the American mindset and really the Western mindset, I should say, of uh, me at the center of the story. And, and if week, you're saying, I don't want to listen to that, that's a very individualistic statement. How individualistic So you should you. go back and listen. Definitely. Collective it's for you. opinion of this group. That's right. Right, collectivism. <laughs> That's right. Says, listen to it. Uh, this week we're diving into pragmatism, and and I really think that individualism gives birth to pragmatism. Mm. So as we uh, before we begin, let's just define what we talk what we're talking about when we say pragmatism. So yeah, what are we talking about? Well, I think this is a definition. I think from Iowa University, and they say pragmatism is a philosophical movement that includes those who claim that an ideology or proposition is true if it works satisfactorily. That the meaning of a proposition is to be found in the practical consequences of accepting it and that unpractical ideas are to be rejected. So that is to say, basically, you shouldn't really live by something or follow something unless you could see it actually working. Yeah, (laughs) in layman's terms, pragmatism is... Does this work for me? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Am I getting what I want to get out of this? Right, Does it yeah. benefit me? And that's yeah. pragmatism, really. And so I think we all are, are pragmatists in, yes. in some ways. Uh, and so there, there's a, as with individualism, there's a, 
a positive side yeah. of pragmatism where uh, you know things should be useful. We shouldn't waste our time. We should uh, seek to be good stewards of all that's been entrusted to us yeah. as uh, in terms of churches and leadership and as pastors and leaders, we should be seeking to help people apply God's word to their lives. Yeah. However, the negative side of pragmatism is if we don't initially see something as beneficial or useful, we're like, well, forget that. Moving on to the next thing that benefits me. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly good. Tim Keller said some ideologies can only come uh, from within the confines of a gated community in the suburb. So it's like, hey, this would be great. Yeah, but that doesn't, that's not how life works. That's not how the world works. So your theory is not pragmatic. Your theory does not work. Um, I, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said some people uh, live their life with, with the way that they want to see the world. I live my life the way the world is. And I think, you know, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, sometimes we hold to these ideals, these utopian views, if you will, and they don't work. I mean, I think we see a lot of debates about how America could be like this. It's like, but it's not going to be. So why in the world will we adopt that philosophy or whatever it may be? So, yes, there is good in saying, is this pragmatic? Does this work? But here's the problem. And you said this. Does this work for me? You know, and so who defines if it works or not? Are we, are we evaluating that based on a short period of time and a small group of people, or are we evaluating that after actually looking at history and seeing if it works? Um, and I think that we become very impatient, and I think we come, become very short-sighted and become very self-centered, and so pragmatism becomes a bad thing. Right, I think to answer your question, if you were to ask people, well, who gets to decide, the, the short answer is most people would say, well, I do. Right. I get yeah. to decide what's most useful for me because I'm the authority. And that right. goes back to individualism and how these two are so closely linked. And we all think that we have the best idea. You know, you know how many times have you had a conversation about um, family dynamics or church dynamics or uh, something going on in our community or nation, and someone says, well, what they ought to do is. Yeah. And when we say that phrase, we're essentially saying, I know what's best. Right. <laughs> and the truth is, is most of us think we know what's best. That's right. A mentor of mine once said, he was talking about a conversation he and his wife said, you know, had all the time, and, you know, he would say his opinion, and she said, well, you always think you're right. And he would say, yeah, I'm not going to go around saying things that I think are wrong. <laughs> you know, and I just laughed at that because yeah. he was being funny, and they were yeah. being funny in that. But it's, but it's really how we live our lives. Right. We all think we're the best judge of what's right yeah. and wrong. And when it comes to things in their usefulness, yeah. we innately trust our own right, judgment. Right. And I don't know that we should. Yeah, and today we're talking so so it's true. Like there's a lot of things that we do in our family and you guys do in your family and you do in your life, I do in my life, and we're like, this works for me. And it's like we might give each other advice, but we're like, Well, what I'm doing isn't conflicting with scripture and it works. So that's cool, but I'm gonna keep doing this, you know. That's not a problem. Today, though, we're not really talking about that. We're talking right. about how it can be a problem in the church. Right. And so pragmatism as a problem in the church is when we start to view church, the body of Christ, as, well, this part of church or this aspect of church is good for me, benefits yeah. me, gives me right. what I want. This doesn't, so I'm not <clears throat> going to make time for that. Or church as a whole, uh, that's, it's not getting me what I want. It's not meeting my needs, and so I'm going to just move on. And right. because it's not useful. And I think at the root of that goes back to 
we have a vision of life that we want and mm-hmm. we we have we say this is the vision i want for my life how does god help me get my vision for mm. my life how does mm. church help me get my vision for my life and if it doesn't yeah. i'm moving on and that's yeah. that's a dangerous mentality for us yeah that's that's a <laughs> that's a dangerous mentality and i think we kind of buy into the lie sometimes that the end justifies the means so we think okay well you know my life is probably going to be like this if i live it this way and so um, it's okay if in the means I'm not really looking to God, I'm not really doing things the way God wants. And, and I think it's a very shallow way of looking at things. I think a lot of us, uh, this is true, most people look at church and say, okay, if I have kids, are my kids going to be happy mm-hmm. at church? Are they right. going to have fun like and learn a Bible verse or two? You know, So like, mm-hmm. I feel like they're learning about Jesus and they're having a lot of fun. Um, you know, does the service meet my preference in terms of music, time, all of those things? Uh, do I like these people? Um, you know, whatever it may be. I just think we're honestly just looking and saying, hey, does this work for me? Right. And it goes back to, like, I have a vision for my life. Right. And I think yeah. if, at the end of the day, we, if we were just take the average American dream, which if we're all honest in some ways, we, we, we want in some ways, you know, and yeah. granted as God matures us, we can let go of that and we have a bigger vision. But if we just say, if your vision for your life is that you fall in love, you meet somebody, you start a family, you have kids, they grow up, they're well-rounded, they're, they're involved in wonderful activities, yeah. and, and they grow up and become successful people, and that you are able to uh, achieve your goals and your career and advance yeah. yourself so you have a nice retirement. That's mm-hmm. like the American dream. Mm-hmm. And when we start saying, that's my vision for my life. Yeah, start talking about collecting seashells. And seashells, yes. <laughs> we're collecting seashells on the shore. And at yeah. the end of the day, is that what you're going to present to God? That's, that's right. a famous, <laughs> famous sermon from John Viper. Yeah. Uh, but I think like we... That's a tragedy. <laughs> that, is a tra- that is the tragedy. That's my Piper voice. That's a tragedy. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a pretty good impression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think that when we say that's a... What a what a short-sighted vision for yeah. life. Mm. But that is so many people's vision for where they want to live, and that is really a, a self-focused vision. And so when we have that vision for life, we begin to evaluate everything around us as, will this help me meet my dream? Right. And so we evaluate churches, that we evaluate kids' program, like you said. We evaluate the service. Is this affirming me in my direction for my life? Whereas the opposite of pragmatism is saying, like, God, you have a better story. You have a bigger vision. So how do I submit myself to myself to that vision and that story? Yeah, so – and I think the, the most important thing we say here is that – so you get all that that Justin just talked about. But what benefit is pragmatism if you go to hell? Yeah. You know, Jesus said – what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits right. his soul? And we, we read that and we think, oh, that's talking about like, you know, Jeff Be- Bezos or, you know, Bill Gates or whoever. But I, I think Jesus has a broader audience in mind when he talks about that. I think it's easy to hide behind the ultra wealthy and say like, oh, man, they, they have, have all so that. Much more. Right. You know, like, but like, what if you get the American dream and church helped with that, but you never really dealt with the issue of where you stand with God? And I think that specifically, you know, in our context, Niceville, where everybody's nice, you know, I mean, it's really easy to live this good American nice life and never really trust the Lord and let him shape you. 
And, you know, I talked about this a few weeks ago in, in a sermon, you know, that I think a lot of people live a life to be godly enough to avoid God. They never really have to deal with the hard issues. And so I, I want to kind of shift and say, so this is to church leaders, but you should really be evaluating your church. And so for those, most of you are probably members of our church who are listening to this. You know, certainly if there's ways that we're airing here, please talk to me. I mean, seriously, please talk to me about this. But also if maybe you're another, a member of another church, I really want you to evaluate your church based on what we're about to say. And, and I would say first, you need to address these things with your pastor our pastors, but if they aren't willing to um, deal with these, then you need to find a new church. Um, and and I'll, just, I'll just say that. And, and some of the things we're talking about when it comes to being gospel-centered, I'll use that word over and over again. I don't think you realize what it means to be a part of a church that's centered around the gospel until you are, mm-hmm. and then you can't go back. You yeah. can't go back to one that is, that is not. Um, but I think when a church says, okay, you know, we, w- we need to do what works, and we need to we need to help people like with what works because that's what they want. I think that, you know, they start skipping over important issues in the Bible because they look at the Bible and they say, well, this isn't that relevant. Right. Even though it's in God's this word. This isn't going to speak to people where they are right now. Yeah. Even though God said all scripture is given by God and is, insp- is inspired by God, breathed out by God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So the man of God may be equipped for every good work. That's right. Even though God said that, they say, ah, we don't need to talk about this. Yeah, we can skip that. We can skip this, and so we start skipping over things because we think, <coughs> excuse me, we think this isn't that practical. Mm-hmm. And when we start doing that, we're really uh, ignoring part of God's counsel for us and the way it shapes us. And we, you know, we do that with His Word. We do that with people. We, we look yeah. at people in the church. We say, "Well, they're not useful to me. Uh, they're not useful. I can't. They aren't going to get me what I want." And and then we evaluate. Uh, we just kids. Like, let's talk about kids stuff. There, you know, my kids aren't as happy here as they would be somewhere else. And, you know, I think as a, the tension for us is that uh, as leaders, you know, we could, we could stay in the theoretical and be like, you know, it's just about God's glory and people right. just get on board with that and, and ignore the practical, yes. uh, which isn't good because we right. do want to help people see how to live on mission. But it, it ultimately comes back to the starting point and the end point. Like, are we going to start? What's our goal to start with? Is our start, starting goal to grow a big church, right? Or is it to build the kingdom? Yeah. And so we say that a lot. You know, our goal is to build the kingdom. So, because our goal is to build the kingdom, not grow a huge mega church. Uh, not that you know mega churches can't do this, but that's not our goal. Uh, yeah. You know, we're going to make decisions that ultimately may you know some people may not uh, it may not attract as many people. Yeah. I, I mean, you may you don't study this as much as we do probably. So there's a whole movement called the church growth movement. And it probably began really big in the, you know, eighties and carried in the nineties and, and Rick Warren stuff, which a lot of what Rick Warren said was good, but then people just started saying, okay, you know, we, we've got to do that so we can grow a church. And I mean, even in our, in our town, you know, there are guys who, and I would say this, if I was sitting face to face with them in front of a bunch of people, I wouldn't mind like their number one goal is how do we get more people into this church? How do we get more people here? And it, may have started out as a good intention, but it trumps the scripture. You know, it, it becomes, we start to do church on, in a pragmatic way. And honestly, you know, in, in a town and in a lot of suburbs where, uh, you know, or Niceville is almost like the suburb, like where you, you give people what they want, you will grow a church. 
because yeah. that's what people want. So people want people. We 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 want to feel good about ourselves. Yeah, we do. Know? And you and know, we want help. We want right. help. Yeah. But it's but it's ultimately not what does make people feel good about themselves. Yeah. You know? So if we biblically, I, you know, our identities in Christ, and what makes me feel good about myself isn't that I'm awesome. It's you know because I'm not. It's that I'm a child of God, yeah. and this is what that means for my life. And so it means that I understand that I was dead in my sin, and I all brought nothing to the table. And you know, I don't need my sin affirmed. I need it challenged, and that I God chose me and, and adopted me into His family anyway. That's what is most life giving and joy giving. Uh, not you know, hey, I can listen to this or be a part of this study and, and learn three successful ways to make my marriage yeah. more successful. Though. The Bible speaks to that. Three and successful the, ways to make whatever, your marriage yeah, more that's, successful. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I like that. <laughs> three, three unsuccessful <laughs> ways to make uh, You know, those, those things in and of themselves aren't bad, but if that's the end goal, that's the end goal is just to engage more people, to grow the church, to so that we have a bigger church. You know, we're missing the point of, of really helping people reorient their lives around the gospel. Right. We we then, if we do that, you said that we are stewards, right, of, of the people that God entrusts us to. Every single Sunday, you know, for me, whether it's in person or online, there's hundreds of people who are listening to what I say, and I am responsible for that, and I want to point them towards God. And, you know, yes, I want to give them tools that help them in their life, but ultimately, if I give them three tools that make their marriage better, A, Am I really making their marriage better in the long haul or just for a short season? And B, am I helping them to see what God wants of their marriage? You know, and 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 you just leave people so shallow. I mean, that's what so many marriage series, teaching series, you know, and most most churches that focus on pragmatism do that every year. I mean, and I try to teach on marriage every year as well, but they they really. They don't even really teach what the Bible says about marriage. They end up being more about how to make things better in your marriage when a lot of what the Bible has to say, if you're teaching the Bible, is about how someone loves, like Christ loves the church, even when they're not being loved back. Yeah, being faithful in unfaithfulness, being faithful yeah. in, in difficulty, being faithful in, uh, you know, when you're not getting what you want, yeah. <laughs> essentially. And, like, I, you know, I've heard stories of, like, I went to the sermon, and it was like, here's five ways to make your wife happy, take her on a date, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that was the sermon? Yeah, like, that's, that's good advice. That's good advice, yeah, yeah, no no problem. Like, right. you know, but we're, when we say that the Bible is saying that, like, we're really not dealing with the issue. Like, the reason we should want to be better practically is because of what gospel, what God says in the gospel and what that means to our life. Christianity is a response, you know, and, and so um, we're responding to what God has said in the way that we live our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think, and too, there's so much freedom. Sorry, there's so yeah. much freedom in the practical at that point. Absolutely, I think too. There's a tension as a church leaders because we want things to be good. <laughs> we yeah. want people to want to be here. We want excellence and i think a lot of times church leaders use uh this like holding fast to the, the scripture which we should i mean so that's that's not what i'm saying here but holding fast to scripture proclaiming the scripture uh 
as a crutch to not do things well, yeah. not to pursue yeah. <laughs> excellence, not to work hard, right. you know, not to, to do the hard work of say, okay, this is what the Bible teaches. How do I help people understand it? And we've all, you know, been in sermons or in churches or in services or in Bible studies where they get, yeah, there was this, we talked about this passage and everyone left maybe even more confused because the, whoever was teaching or leading or communicating had not done the work of saying, how do I help people understand how this fits yeah. into the context of community for the, for the glory of Christ? And even, you know, we accept, uh, you know, things not going well in a service, and we just kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's just church. And, like, no, we should pursue excellence. Right. So there's this tension we manage of, yeah, for you know, sure. like, we could just double down on saying, well, we know this principle works, this principle works, this works, this works, this works, and this is how we can draw a crowd and make sure everything is so good. Yeah. But I, I, I say this to other worship pastors I meet with. It's like we can – you can work really hard given modern technology, given how we can use instruments and tracks and lights and environments, and we can manufacture a mm. feeling of mm. the Holy Spirit. Like we can manufacture this environment, and I believe you know we should work hard to create an environment where people can be rid of distractions to worship, and we can manufacture that, and that mm-hmm. becomes a crutch to us mm-hmm. as well. Whereas we could also just say, well, we're not going to plan anything, and then we like we're like things go wrong. We're like, well, it's just the Holy. Spirit. Don't blame your mess on the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you right. know. And so there's this tension to to walk up. Yes, we are called to hold fast to the Word of God, Scripture, teach. And also to work hard to help people see how, not how they, the Bible can fit into their lives, but how their lives fit into the story of God. Yeah, and I I would say, and this really ties into individualism as well, you know, that in the practical, pragmatic church where this is the focus, you know, people are typically trying to say, okay, what's the least amount I can do to check off that box, you know, versus being servants, you know, that's what your church needs. It needs you to be a servant. You know, I mean, I mean, even our church just breaks my heart that there's people who's like, this is my church. And it's like, I'll serve once every six weeks. And, you know, I'll serve every 12 weeks. The churches who focus on pragmatism and growth, like they probably do better at that than we do because, you know, they've really convinced everybody, Hey, this is, you know, how you be a part of it. But like, honestly, you know, I just, Anytime I hear that of somebody in our church, unless they're like in a you know different situation, I'm just sad for them. I'm sad that the gospel doesn't mean more selflessness, honestly. Um, and you know, you might say, well, it's not all about church. It usually matches their life too. I mean, it's just it's very self centered. And um, you know, we want to get as, as pastors, as leaders, to where the gospel is motivating us to change our life, and and that's really the 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 emphasis of being a part of whether it's a community group, life group, small group, whatever you call it, Sunday school class, where you're really, hey, what does the word say and how, how, how does that look in our lives, you know? And, and we're obeying God. We're not just trying to get something out of God and get yeah. some tools. Um, so maybe you're like, okay, so how do I know, you know, what this looks like? So can I? Go for it. Yeah. You got something. So I... So we're pre-recording this, so, so I don't know what's going on at your church, you know, already. But uh, churches that do this almost all every January start off with some new you, you know, or ten resolutions, you know, or five resolutions and series. It's like a cyclical, cyclical pattern, like every year, it's like this is yeah, yeah, yeah. And then then they're going to move on to marriage, and then they're going to have a money series at a at a strategic time when they need money, you know, and uh, they're going to give you some principles on on that and. 
Um, you know, and I would say that most of the sermons are going to be like, you know, we're going to do the sermon series and it's going to be on, um, you know, a healthy, healthy you or happy life or whatever it may be. And, and then we're going to give these principles and we'll use a verse of scripture to support every single, you know, point we make. Mm -hmm. Um, because that way you feel like God validates this just like, you know, you feel like if I use a Bible verse when I play football, then that means God validates me, you know, knocking somebody out. Like, and I'm not saying he cares if you play football hard, but like the Bible isn't talking about that. So stop, you know, like, um, so, so I think, I think you see that it's just, it's, it's never really this emphasis on the holiness of God. I mean, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Like we want people to live sin, right? right? Like we want as pastors, right. mostly I think for spiritual reasons, but also a little bit of fleshly reasons. We want our people to go out, have gospel conversations, people to come to know Jesus, them to join our church, their marriages to change, their family to change, them to go out and right. do the same thing. We want that. So during this time, like, we, that's the end result. But we started last week with Isaiah and how he sees God he sees and his God holiness. First, yeah. And then he says to God, here am I, send me. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got to start with, it's God that motivates us. It's the glory of God that motivates us to do these things. And then here's how it looks in some people's lives. I mean, if your yeah. church isn't doing that regularly, exaltation of God, here's what his word says. Now here are some ways that you can do that. Then you're not a part of a church that's gospel-centered. Yeah, I think a, a piece of that, too, is are you part of a, a church that is uh, empowering you, maybe the, yeah. the teaching you, equipping. to equipping you to, to study the Word yourself, yes. or you constantly rely upon a person or a personality or another teacher. Like, a church should be equipping the saints to, for the spirit the work of God, and part of that is, is your church encouraging you to study the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to learn, how to grow, or, or keeping you dependent yeah. uh, on a, a person. And I think that's that's a huge piece, and that's something we as a church are growing in, and we're trying to take intentional steps to help equip people to, to know uh, the Word and to, to follow and respond. And I think uh, another piece of, you know, you might— you might be a part of a church that's pragmatic, but if you know, if you notice there's there's constant skipping of hard issues, yeah. or kind of sidestepping things rather than addressing them, not as uh, bullheaded, you know, this is the way it is, turn or burn, baby, but as yeah. in in grace and truth and love, like saying, hey, there's not this a spirit of like, hey, we we approach this humbly, but also we we do approach this yeah. issue or this topic because. Um, we're, we're, we want to lead people to, to, what, to what God says. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, and I, I, I do think there's so much freedom, you know, in, in the practical. I, re, I really do. I mean, there are certain things it's like, hey, you're doing that. The Bible says you shouldn't be doing that. Like, you know, um, committing adultery, like you need to stop. Like there's not freedom in that practicality right, right there. Um, the Bible tells us that pure and undefiled religion is to care for the widow and orphan. And if you're not doing that, like you're not obeying God. I mean, in some way, you know, um, but that's just the reality. I mean, that's people are often like, oh, that's your to me, you know, because we foster and we've adopted. And they're like, that's your calling, you know. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, fine. Yeah, it's your calling, too. Like, I'm just obeying scripture. Why? Because God has done what he's done in my life. Like, it's a response um, so, but there is so much freedom, you know, I think when it comes to music and i and I really don't have anything else to say, but I'd like to hear you kind of share this, like 
you know, <laughs> so people use music as a pragmatic thing. Like, let's build the crowd. Let's get people there. And so then the traditional, more faithful, they would call themselves crowd, is like, well, you know, we just – that's why we don't do that new modern music because it just you know whatever and it's like no nah, that's not that's not bible you know yeah, <laughs> like that's right yes we need to check our, examine our hearts mm-hmm. and why we do our music the way we do it but that's yeah. really the issue right i think uh, i go back to uh, a time i went to a conference and uh it was like a men's conference and there are some groups leading worship and they were doing you know contemporary music and it was bad. Like it just wasn't good. <laughs> it really wasn't. It was. Uh, it was campy, cheesy, and uh, one of our friends was like, "What did you think about the worship?" And I said, "Well, the music was terrible. The worship was great." Yeah. You know, and mm, I think like mm, you know, mm. it's because it wasn't my preference. It, I didn't like the way they led, and that's that's okay. Like yeah, you know, if, that's okay. But also, that doesn't trump like. But we were still proclaiming some truth about the Lord, and that. That transcends music style, Amen. and I think yeah. you know we could say, well, this is you know if we were programming services, and this is this is the music that's going to get people, and it's like, is that really the goal? The goal is to get people, because what you win people with, you got to keep people with, and so that just constantly puts mm. the pressure on us to perform, 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 rather than like, hey, we're just going to proclaim, we're going to pursue excellence, but we're going to proclaim the truth of right. the gospel, and and praise God in heaven, we're not going to like have conversations about what music is better because we're just going to like love it all <laughs> yeah i know we're going to love him and you know <laughs> it's gonna, he's going to be enough yeah um, i think you're know, just wrapping it up i think uh the root of pragmatism is this is that as individualists we think we know what's best and so we had this vision for our lives that this is what's best this is what's most useful and i would just say god has a better plan for your mm. life than mm. you have a be- mm. good plan for your life so uh, God's invitation to us really is to exchange our small view of our lives for his big view of our lives. And I think we think we have big views of our lives. And, you know, and in our sin we do. But God's plans are better. So instead of saying, is this useful for God, for my vision of my life, say, hey, this is the life God's called me to, to know him and to make him known. So how do I give myself to that? And I think of in, in Genesis when God tells Abraham, you know, what his plans. I'm going to, through you, I'm going to bless all nations. And, you know, you go through several chapters of that, and Abraham's like, I don't understand how you're going to do that, God. And there's this, you know, back and forth, like, and Abraham doubts, and he sins, and, he, mm-hmm. you know, but God is still faithful. And then there's a, a moment where you know, Abraham's are you saying, God, I don't understand. And God says, "Get go look at the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, get out of your tent, go look at the sky. And I think sometimes, like, our pragmatic, pragmatist view of life is we're in a tent looking up saying i had this great plan for my life and god's Mm -hmm. like get out of the tent Mm -hmm. look at the sky Mm -hmm. that's the plan i have for you Mm -hmm. so stop evaluating everyone and everything around you is can this get me where i want to go and say no one's going to get you where you need to go except Mm -hmm. god so give yourself to his plan yeah in first corinthians chapter one um paul said uh that you know the cross is foolishness to the gentiles and the Gentiles were very focused mm. on philosophies that benefited yeah. their life. And to say, hey, revolve your life around God who came to the earth and was killed. Mm-hmm. That's foolishness. That's what, not That's not useful. Right. That's not me useful. doing me. That's me dying to myself. And that is the antithesis yeah. of the Western dream. Yeah, that's right. And so it's it's not the most pragmatic thing if you want your life to be better to say, oh, man. I'm now going to die to myself. 
and everything that I want uh, so that my life would be better. But like you said, yeah. God, God, <laughs> that's God all. is worth God, it. Yeah. You know, and really when we reject pragmatism is when our lives begin to look different than the world and different than the culture around us. And when we reject pragmatism and only viewing things as what's useful is when people see that there's a difference yeah. in us, that there's mm-hmm. a reason that we have mm-hmm. the hope that's in us. So we'll wrap with that thought. Uh, you know, reject this, this natural tendency we have to just use people, use things, to use the church, mm-hmm. uh, to get what we want, uh, and to say, God, you're calling me to a bigger story. How do I submit myself to what you want for me? Because that's better. So if you've uh, listened to this, if you've watched, and you're wrestling with what that looks like, we send us a message. We would love to talk to you and just share uh, how you can know the, the plans that, that God has for you as his son or his daughter. So send us a message. We want to thank you for tuning in to this week of Boggy Talk. Join us next week as we tackle another challenge, the challenge of modernism and modern thought. We'll define what that is. Hey, in the meantime, why don't you do a little research of your own? Uh, submit some questions and uh, let us know. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for listening to Boggy Talk. We are so glad you joined in the conversation. Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss a beat.